when your winter comes, there's always a change in there somewhere. It's either a change that you're resisting or it's a change that you need to find in order to cope with the next stage. Hi, I'm Zoe. Hi, I'm Erica. Hey, Erica. This is our podcast. Well, what do we do on the podcast? Uh, we talk to wellness experts. Well, what do we talk about? Mm, wellness stuff. And why are we doing this? Because we want to have an inclusive conversation about things that you can actually use and apply to your life. Right. We don't think that wellness should feel preachy. We think it should feel like everybody can participate. That's right. So if you like what you hear, tell a friend. Give us five stars. They're all free. All of the above. All of the above. And think of us as your navigators on the bumpy highway to well. Hey guys, happy almost Thanksgiving. We thought it was a good time to air a conversation we had about the idea of wintering. It's based on a book by Catherine May, who is a writer of both fiction and nonfiction. And this book is pretty cool. It is a real just kind of an exploration of how we can actually sort of take care of ourselves in these dark times of our lives, which she refers to as wintering and we refer to as 2020. Um, anyway, thanks again for listening. Have a listen uh, to this one and we hope you enjoy. We love giving you ad-free episodes, but you're going to have to listen to this one real quick because this episode is brought to you by us. Yes, our brand new brand. Earth and Star is taking your daily habits like cold brew and matcha and elevating them with adaptogens to give you some ridiculously healthy benefits. Benefits such as cognitive function, calm, stamina, and a huge boost to your immune system, which I think we can agree we all need right now. Our super convenient ready-to-drink lattes are 100% certified organic and plant-based made with what else? Rothy oat milk. Is there any other kind of oat milk today? I don't think so. No packets or tubs or clumpy, weird powder that no matter how much you try to mix it, it never seems to dissolve. Just a delicious little can of magic. We've got all the flavors. We've got cold brew coffee, matcha, turmeric, cacao, which is basically adult chocolate milk. And we are adding 2,000 milligrams, that is no small dose, of functional mushroom extracts like lion's mane and chaga, to basically upgrade your everyday habit into a kick-ass functional latte. Kick-ass. Kick-ass. Available at earthandstar.com. Take 15% off with the code HTW at checkout. Earth and Star Mushroom Lattes. Amazing taste. Healthy as sh- Welcome, Catherine. Hi. <laughs> Author of the beautifully written book, uh, Wintering. I keep wanting to say like the wintering. Mm. That sounds like, I don't know, it's a little bit more spooky. Dun, dun, yeah. dun. That would be a really good thriller, wouldn't it? I think the wintering. The wintering. Um, I'll try that next. So this is a fun book. Huh? <laughs> really? Carol of Laughs, my book, yeah. Wonderful times. Um, how, how long, when did you start writing this book and how did you coordinate the pandemic to just, you know, serve <laughs> the most amazing marketing platform in existence? <laughs> I mean, I'd love to claim those powers of prediction, but I really don't have them. Um, I started about two years ago. So, uh, I mean, I guess 
that none of this was on the horizon now. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? That well, the- Trump was in office and Brexit yeah. was happening. So right. that's really true. I mean, I think, you know, we've had quite parallel politics for a long time. And, you know, we've had Brexit, we've had the rise of populism, the same, same that you have. Um, and we've all been suffering, well, I say all, you know, half of the country, that 50% that, that we've both got, that, that direct split of half the country being, you know, really keen on right populism and the other half being liberal. Um, so I suppose there was already that in the air. There was a lot of change happening, a lot of people reevaluating. But no, it landed at a very peculiar time when the word wintering's been sort of needed, I think. We've been using it a lot in the UK since it came out in February. Yeah. Okay, so what is wintering? And how are we... <laughs> yeah, so wintering is a period in your life when you feel frozen, out in the cold, all those wintry metaphors. It's that time when life has kind of stopped and you've dropped through the cracks. So, I mean, that can come from so many different things. You know, it can come from illness, it can come from a divorce, it can come from a change of job or loss of a career. But what I wanted to point out was that actually those times have got so much in common. There's like a, a thread that stitches them together And we tend to think we're all having our own separate moments of suffering, but actually there's something in common and it's that feeling of like isolation, failure, being cut off from the rest of the world for a while. Oh, I don't even know. I don't know what you're talking about. I know. It's so unfamiliar. Um, And so what was the actual moment that you... Like, did the book precede your experience with this or how, like, what was the sort of order of events that led to actually creating a work out of this? It was, it actually was a very, very specific moment when I was having a glass of wine with a friend in a bar and she was explaining the experience she was going through at that time. You know, she was grieving, her career wasn't going very well. And she felt like her life was ending, that it was forever. And in that moment, I realized that I could see a very different narrative. I could see that she was at the bottom of a a dark period, but that she'd come out again. And I sort of realized my own expertise in that because I'd wintered so many times in my own life. And the word just sprang out of my mind. I said, you're wintering. That's all that's happening. And then I said, oh, I I might have to write a book about this. Do you mind? (laughs) Will you you feel weird about it? Um, And I I literally started making the first notes for wintering that night. It's just something that is a pattern across my life. And I I had this insight that other people have that pattern too. But we we don't realize that, do we? We think that we've had these dark periods and that we've uniquely failed. We're the only people that that's happened to. And so we carry all that shame about it. And I, I just wanted to help people to remove the shame as much as anything else. God, it's so true. I mean, there, so, so can you talk a little bit about what those moments were for you? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I've had many across my life. I, I am one of the many women of my age now that got an autism diagnosis, like in my 30s. And so I spent my whole childhood feeling incredibly isolated and just very different to all the other girls. That meant that I had periods of really poor mental health right through my teens. And I mean, now when teens are depressed and anxious, we recognize that for what it is. At the time, I just got told that, you know, children don't get depressed. That, and, and that added to my sense of shame. And I also had periods of really poor health. Like I, I had a diagnosis of ME for a while, of fibromyalgia. 
But really, I think looking back, it was just burnout because it's so exhausting being that person trying to cope in the mainstream world when you don't realize that your brain is very, very different. And it meant that, you know, I dropped out of whole careers. I felt very useless in that all through my 20s. But what really brought it to a head for me was having my son and just feeling so isolated. I couldn't believe that motherhood was that dismal. Nobody tells you that, do they? They don't, <laughs> they don't tell you how lonely you feel. <laughs> no, they don't. But it's funny. Um, I literally just told Erica before um, we logged on because we were talking, I was talking about one of my many, uh, whatever, <laughs> dramas. And um, I have children. Erica's not. And I was like, you really dodged a bullet there. Yeah, like, I, you know, I have a friend. Yeah, it's, it's, she's about to have her first child, and um, I, I've, I'm trying to over communicate probably too much how sort of like insanely isolating it is. Yeah, in those first yeah. you know months. And oh man, I it's unbelievable. I, Nobody tells you, and I I don't know why we don't tell anyone because actually I think it would help. It would help to know that you're not the only person that just feels utterly bereft and tired and drained and soul. Well, and especially if you're not a person that is normally predisposed to those types of feelings. And I think yeah. especially, you know, to the point that Zoe's making, when you consider yourself somebody who is otherwise quite social and mm-hmm. quite connected, it feels like, you know, something like that couldn't possibly happen to you. How do you feel yeah. isolated when you have such a vibrant social connection with people, mm. but it is entirely possible. And no, I have not gone through the experience of motherhood. I have had surprising moments of, or, or moments of surprising isolation in my own mm. life, in my own home sometimes that, yeah, it sort of does take you by surprise. And it, it does make you feel like, I, I have to be the only one that's going through it like this because I brought so much to the table in the first place, you know, that this, it's impossible that this could happen and therefore it must be unique to me, which then just perpetuates that yeah. feeling of, of sort of isolation yeah. and loneliness. Oh, goodness. I mean, I think, I think often actually for people who are kind of lively and successful, it comes as even more of a shock. You, you think, I, I, sh- I should have the tools not to be able to do this. Surely I can scrape my way out of here. And we can't. You know, it's a, it's a natural phase of our lives. And I mean, I think it's actually a very valuable one, but that doesn't mean to say it's not horribly painful. Oh, okay. Wait, so sorry. I, I, I got you off. You were sort of walking through the steps. One of those moments being motherhood of just mm. being incredibly isolated. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that was the point when I started seeking my autism diagnosis. I had this, uh, this kind of flash moment where I was in my car and I heard somebody on the radio saying what it was like to be an autistic woman. So not describing autism from the outside, but describing how it felt from the inside. And it was this total moment of revelation for me that finally I could see, I could see the thing that was making me feel so differently about the world to everybody else. And after that, I suppose I just changed my attitude towards meeting my own needs. Like it took a long time. It wasn't instant. It was shocking at first. It took me a really long time to figure out how I was going to live after that so that I didn't have these crashes over and over again. Can you describe a little bit more about what those feelings were? I mean, if you're comfortable talking Mm, about it, but I think just anytime somebody says, you know, that these moments of just, you know, complete revelation and I thought about something in a way that I never had before, it's always, you know, like, okay, well, I'm sure somebody else probably could benefit from, from that thought process. Yeah, definitely. I mean, for me... 
it was hearing her describe what it was like to be overwhelmed by empathy. I mean, I studied psychology at university. I've been told that autistic people lack empathy. And I now know that there's absolutely no research base behind that at all. That was just an assumption that research has made for a very long time about us. And in fact, it's more likely to be that we're so overloaded with feelings of empathy and kind of absorbing other people's emotions that we shut down, you know. Mm. And I'd never heard anything described like that before. And it, I related so hard to it. I couldn't quite believe it. Like there was someone talking about my, the inside of my head. I'd not heard it before. And she was also talking about sensory overwhelm, which is just a big, big part of my life. So too much touch, too much noise, things smelling weird. Like a label in my clothes would be enough to tip me over completely because my senses are turned up to 120 and yeah, that's me. It sounds so small. It sounds so simple. But it's these things that if you keep pushing them and keep making yourself go through them, it, it leads to burnout. I'm married to a nightclub DJ. That, this is the joke of it all, right? I'm so noise averse. <laughs> I'm married to this, you know, this wonderful man who's a record collector and he DJs. And, I, you know, I spent... 15, 20 years going out to nightclubs with him because he loves them so much and literally hiding in the toilets the whole time and not knowing why, like every time. I mean, this is the crazy thing about the way, about how little insight we have into ourselves. Like every time going, oh, that's really weird. I feel a bit ill tonight. I'm so sorry. I'm just not on form. Not ever recognizing the pattern because there was no pattern available for me to recognize. Like who... (laughs) Where would I have found the thing that said, hang on, if you can't handle being in a noisy room, are there other things that this links to? But yeah, so interesting. So that, okay, so that was obviously a super pivotal moment for you. And so in that, is that what sort of set you on the path of your wintering experience or were you already in it? Or I'm just trying to understand how all of these things kind of culminated in this incredible work. I think it made me an expert winterer. I think it means that I've dropped out of life so many times that it's like a regular pattern to me. And I've just got this intimate knowledge of what that time in your life feels like. And I think that was my realization that I could, I could tell people about some of this and I could explain how to cope with it and how to develop a mindset for understanding it. Yeah, it was, you know, these moments when you realize you know something that nobody else has realized. Mm -hmm. That was mine, definitely. Yeah. Man, um, that's pretty intense. That's a pretty intense, really. And I know a lot of issues are diagnosed late in life, but I imagine that's a pretty difficult one to to sort of realize. How old is your um, son now? He's eight now. So he was, he was like uh, three when, when I realized. So yeah, it was a, it was a huge turning point in my life. And I, I mean, now I, I'm really proud of it. You know, like I understand what my mind is and what my mind can do and how it likes to be treated. And I've managed to make my life much more comfortable. It's such a change. Yeah. That's um, okay. So how do we use wintering as a tool? Or can we talk a little bit about like the, you know, it seems like it applies to everyone in every situation, but like, mm. What do we do with those moments of like, of, I guess, darkness, if you want to call it that, and turn it yeah. into a restorative kind of healing moment and look at it more as a time to like rest and repair mm. and 
whatever. I mean, what, how, how do you get into that mind state? How do you even how do you even identify if you're having a wintering moment? Because yeah. I, I'm having them every minute. <laughs> I'm like, well, I think. I mean, the book is about radical acceptance. You know, it's this is not a book that says, okay, here are ten steps that you can supercharge your wintering or rush away through it. And I think we're so used to hearing that message. We're kind of exhausted by it in itself. So I think the first thing I'd say is, you know, when you're wintering, when you feel like there's nothing you can do to get back on track again, you know, like those times when all of your normal strategies and and just toughing it out are not working and you feel like the rest of the world is carrying on and you are stuck somewhere. The approach that I would recommend is to just walk through it, to take it day by day and to accept it for what it is. There's no hurrying this. It's about engaging with a process. It's, it's offering you a space, actually. When all that world disappears, you actually get space and time to reflect and consider. And you're looking for what change is being asked for you because when your winter comes, there's always a change in there somewhere. It's either a change that you're resisting or it's a change that you need to find in order to cope with the next stage. And I mean, I'm, you know, I told you at the beginning that I'm going to be a little storm cloud. I'm really averse to fake positivity in this. You know, that change is not always a win. It's not always like a a set of things you can do to get out of this and to stop it from happening or to flip on its head and make it amazing. That change is often adaptation and finding the way to cope with life as it is. There's a case study in the book about, um, or a wonderful interview with a woman called Daughter who has learned to swim in ice cold water every single day to manage her bipolar disorder. And she told me that really strongly. She said, I always thought that there was going to be something that came up that made me well again, that just made me perfect and fixed and healed. And my, all of my mental illness would go away and I would be fine. And it was the moment when she realized this was never going to go away and she had to adapt to it, that her life became better than it had ever been before. I think that's a huge insight. It's so important. I mean, it's, it's everything. I think, you know, we talk so much, especially in this wellness community, and I really want to dive into that with you. Um, yeah. I feel like there are probably a lot of opposing viewpoints here, but we talk so much here in this conversation and this podcast about, you know, that sense of false positivity that you just described mm. and how, especially I think, and feel free to disagree, but I think as, a, as an American culture, you know, we are so accustomed to shielding ourselves from any type of pain, from yeah. any type of experience that might actually cause you to like feel something you don't want to feel just for a minute, mm. that we have created just all of these different modalities and tools to to fight it, to resist it, yeah. to not just move through it. And I think some of it is is detrimental, even even though there are, you know, consumer cultures that are now built mm-hmm. around it. So mm-hmm. I'm curious what your take is on I mean we can, you know, I want to I want to spend a little bit more time just kind of talking about that concept. But mm. you know, like the wellness industry has essentially invented a lot of these like you know, tools to fight the thing that we're actually sitting here saying, no, you shouldn't fight it. You really just need to move through it. Yeah. I mean, I think if we, if we deny ourselves that process, we're actually denying ourselves a lot of learning and a lot of value. But I mean, the wellness industry is actually great for these times, isn't it? Because it can help to comfort us. It can help to, you know, 
aid us as we get through it. It can give us tools to cope better. It's just that you have to choose your people and, and you have to be suspicious of anyone who told you they've got the answers because those people can end up harming us, I think. They can end up, end up making us feel like we've failed at the project that's supposed to work and, and just add to the depths of our despair. You just have to be beware everywhere, always. I mean, I guess, I guess that's true for life. But and, and I think also we have to be wary of friends as well who want to jolly us through it and, and want us to get better really quickly in order for their life to get back to normal as well. You know, nobody wants the, the sort of party pooper who's always down. But there are periods when we are down and we all have to learn. I mean, this year is teaching us so much compassion, right? We've got to learn to walk alongside people suffering in so many different ways. And make space for that suffering. I mean, I think that's Uh so important what you just said about friendships, because I think that like those people who, you know, God bless them, that are always looking on the bright side is serving them in whatever way it's serving them. But sometimes it really doesn't serve you. Like I don't... Uh as much as I, you know, I have my own moments of I've got highs and lows and I go through phases just like everybody else. But there are times where I literally don't want you to give me the silver lining. Like, yeah. let me sit with my cloud for just a second. Yeah. I promise I'm going to get through it. But like, shut up with your fucking silver linings because I'm not there yet. You know what I mean? Like that. <laughs> yeah. We talk a little bit about, I mean, we've talked a little bit in the past about just sort of this idea and just going back to what Erica was saying about, you know, the wellness industry, I think it sort of extends, you know, a lot to like social media in general and like the message that we're being sent constantly is just choose joy, like kind of like get, like be positive, you know, be grateful, be all of these positive things, like, but don't be sad. Don't be, that's not allowed. Like there's no space for that. Yeah, and then you know that is that seems very unhealthy. Obviously, um, that's mm. a horrible message to receive, like day after day on you know all these different platforms because uh, it just doesn't you know your emotions are just not valid, right? They're just not allowed. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I think um, yeah. So anyway, the, the sort of like emotional bypassing thing. Yeah, we all have those friends who are, are just like you know, like constantly with the, the silver lining and like, I just like, you know, like let it go. And like, I choose love mm. and, and no matter what happens and there's yeah. like false openness and constant forgiveness and like whatever it is that makes, you know, oftentimes I think by contrast makes me feel like what's wrong with me that I can't just like forgive and forget and move on and all that good stuff. But so anyway, yeah, it's uh it's really hard to sift through all of these messages, whether it's like on social media or like in your immediate, in real life, your best friends, you know, um, so it's tricky. It's, it's hard and it can be brutal. I mean, you know, we're all putting up a fake life on social media. We're all putting up the perfect version of what we are. And looking at that from the outside, you can just believe that everybody else is coping wonderfully all the time. They're so positive. They're so full of love and light. And we can feel like we're the only ones who aren't really achieving that. But I think we need to know that behind the scenes, many people are really suffering and they just don't feel brave enough to come out there and admit they're suffering. And we're part of that community that makes it impossible. But I think that there are some wonderful parts of the wellness industry that really allow us to open up our feelings. I mean, I, you know, the rise of psychedelic therapies, for example, fascinates me because that is so often about traveling with the darker parts of your life as well and integrating it rather than pushing it away. And, I, you know, that's a point to the future, isn't it? 
I'm a have you done some of that? I have a little on my own. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's much more illegal in the UK than the US, so we have to be much more careful. But I, you know, I think for me, it's such a positive place for us to start to travel to, to start to find therapies that deliberately seek to bring in the darker thoughts as well as the lighter thoughts and to acknowledge them as part of our whole person. And right. yeah, I'm, I'm a long-term meditator as well. And like, I, when I started meditating, I remember loads of people saying, you'll meet your dark side eventually. And I was like, well, bring it because I want to have a conversation with her. She's she's, <laughs> she's a fucking downer. <laughs> yeah, she's dogged me for a long time. I've got some stuff to say to her. But you cannot exist with a meditation practice if you are not willing to go to the to the dark days and there are days when your meditations are so dark and so much shifts on those days like that's where the value of it is not the days when everything feels sparkly and lovely like the days when the cloud descends and you march through it for half an hour on your own what type of meditation do you do do you know what i originally learned tm and after a few years, I found it really restrictive and a bit patriarchal, maybe. Every time I say this in public, I get loads of like weird Facebook messages from TM people. So I'll look forward to that, guys. <laughs> um, so after that, I worked with a few different meditation teachers to develop like my own practice. I, I just do it my own way now. And, and sometimes that's sitting for 20 minutes and using a mantra, as I learned originally, which I still find massively valuable. And other times I, you know, I love to do walking meditations. I love to meditate when I'm swimming. I love to just dip out for 30 seconds sometimes, you know, and, and let my brain kind of go into free floating for a little while. Um, I really, I love to free form it. I don't like rules very much. I'm a bit difficult like that. <laughs> <laughs> difficult woman. Yeah, yeah I, I am. <laughs> hard work, hard work. <laughs> So going back to this conversation around the wellness tools and products and things that do and don't serve us, because obviously, you know, this is the business that we're in and, and yeah. it, is, it is interesting just to see, I mean, meditation, clearly, that's not something that really, I mean, people have capitalized on it, but you don't have to, it doesn't have to be something yeah. that, you know, it, you know, it has to change your, <laughs> your socioeconomic circumstance. Um, but are there, I mean, what is your opinion on some of the actual like products and, and I mean, I know like the psychedelics conversation, super mm-hmm. interesting and, and definitely a thread to pull, but you know, you see this whole world of like the sort of self-care and self-soothing, whether it's, you know, physical, like topical body products or ingestibles and consumables in like the THC or adaptogen space and all of that. I mean, do you feel like are there any that you definitely gravitate towards and suggest that like, I mean, obviously you're not being prescriptive and you're not telling people what to do, but are there, are there any that are particularly meaningful to you either for good or for not good reasons? I am devoted to my CBD oil, which I take every morning, um, which helps my gut problems as well as helping my mood. Um, I, I actually, like, we have a very different health system to you. We have the NHS, it's free at the point of use, which is absolutely wonderful, but there's no luxury involved in the NHS. You know, like it's, it's often very basic, like you're getting what you need instead of what you want. And I think in the UK, it's taken us a long, term to, a long time to realise that we need to fill in the kind of healing parts of the medicine ourselves, you know, that, that it will give us the the sort of treatment that is absolutely vital but it won't give us that sense of kind of general healing and recuperation and so i i mean 
I just think we grasp for whatever we can and we need to give ourselves the right to do that. For me, that's often just like taking a hot bath every day with beautiful bath oil and lighting a candle. I mean, I'm, I'm quite low maintenance. Um, but, you know, in the past, I've used acupuncture when I was uh, trying to get pregnant and it really worked. Um, I turned up at the um, IVF clinic pregnant, which is achievement of my life. Like, very... <laughs> <sighs> talking about dodging a bullet, that was, um, I was delighted with that one. Um, yeah, I'm sure. I, like there's a flip side for people like me. Being autistic in particular, I am so aware that there are so many therapists out there that claim to cure autism. And I am deeply suspicious of those and deeply worried about them. And there's been several surveys done and the vast majority of autistic people do not want to be cured. They want their specific concerns around the world to be addressed and treated and helped, you know. So we suffer from high levels of anxiety. We suffer from high levels of sensory distress, which, you know, quite often working with a good occupational therapist can, can help us to solve. So I, I do have a difficult relationship with, with a lot of, of the wellness industry because it's so often it's trying to impose a cure on me that I, uh, that I don't want and that I don't need. and. Uh, yeah, I've had some very awkward conversations over the, you know, the time since I've been diagnosed with, because uh, my last memoir was about my diagnosis, with people who have approached me to say, oh, it's okay, I can sort this out for you. I've got this therapy or that therapy. And uh, we have to ask some really serious questions about those things, really, and about the motivation of the people behind them, because they're not approaching me with my consent or with anything that I've ever asked for. And it makes me very deeply uncomfortable because I know that there will be some people out there who maybe impose those treatments on their children without, you know, taking the time to, to appreciate their magical autistic brains. And yeah, so I, I have a spiky relationship there. I have to admit it's, it's difficult being me and, uh, and going out and, and seeking because you never know what you're going to come across and what attitude you're going to come across. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah that's true. Have you read that book, The Reason I Jump? Yes, of course I have. It's wonderful, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. So um, yeah, absolutely wonderful book. I don't know this book. I don't want to make an attempt at pronouncing his name. Um, but he's, I won't either. He's uh, it's Japanese? Japanese kid, yeah. Non-verbal Japanese uh, boy. Oh. Thought to be like locked in for a long time, but actually he's able to communicate by writing. And he writes these most beautiful philosophical kind of short essays uh, that distill his experience and explain exactly why he's reacting as he did, does, but also how he perceives the world. It's just lovely. It's so life-affirming. Yeah, huh. it's, it's translated. It's great. It's, um, I probably have it. I'll give it to you. Speaking <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, going back to the whole point of anxiety and, and you know, our, all of our coping mechanisms. Um, mm. We also have a podcast, which is right, so uh, that I am going to be listening to regularly now because you're basically like stepping in as like a life coach, I think. <laughs> like a life coach quality about you, which is like really, in, you know, um, in high demand right now. But there was a, so it's, it's just called Wintering Sessions, right? Right, yeah, yeah. So there was one, I was just skimming through some of the episodes and there was one about uh, just sort of like, rethinking your relationship with alcohol during yeah and I think obviously it's safe to say that we've all been 
you know, indulging a little bit more than usual, uh, given the state of the world and the stress of like the pandemic and being home all day and literally having no no place to go. There's no escapism, um, you know, it's like, yeah, um, yeah. it's sort of a, a very convenient way to escape. Um, it's a numb, numb our feelings again. I mean, that's, it's another numbing thing to do, isn't it? It's pretty straightforward, right? I mean, yeah. dress it up however we want, but it's a, it's a very um, nice way to sort of dull the edges. Yeah. Um, I mean, what, like, have you had any personal relationships that you could like speak about? I mean, there, there's like a lot of comments and like just on your Instagram feed around that episode about all of these people. And I have to say, I haven't, I feel like I know a handful of people who have, who have given up alcohol, Mm -hmm. not not because they were like, had to go to AA or they sort of thought they were alcoholics or the rest, but you know, they kind of got to a dark enough place. Yeah. They got to their like wintering place where they're like, you know, I think this is maybe like not working so well. It's not, it's not giving Mm. me anymore. Like I'm going to try and change my relationship with it and maybe just see how I I, I do without it. I mean, this is obviously very uh, interesting and terrifying subject for me because I always like drink a lot of wine um, and other things, (laughs) but you know, it just, it seemed like a good example um, that probably many people could, could relate to right now um, like having a wintering moment. It's like, it can, can kind of only get you so far. And, and sorry, yeah. I, I got off track, but I was just saying like, it seems like everyone who's given up alcohol is like, it was the best thing I ever did. Like that's yeah. what needed to happen. I didn't realize it totally changed my life. I didn't, you know, think of myself as an alcoholic. I still don't, but mm-hmm. it, it was like a pivot that kind of like put me on this totally different path. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a scary one for me too, because I love a drink. I have to say, I'm, I'm like the cocktail queen. I love mixing a cocktail and, you know, chilling out with it in the evening. Um, but actually, so many of my friends have given up altogether. My husband doesn't drink anymore, in fact. Um, not that he was ever a heavy drinker, but he just was through with it. He just can't see the point in it. And I, that means that my lockdown has been lighter in alcohol than my normal life would be because there's no one to drink with. <laughs> The yeah. shame of sitting on your own with a glass of wine, you know. Hands are raising, yes. But I think that coming to that point of giving up alcohol is such an increasingly common part of wintering for so many people. It seems that, you know, 25% of the women I know in particular have just knocked it on the head. They just don't feel like it does them any good. And that's, I mean, there have been times in my life when I've drunk much too heavily without a doubt. I mean, and I, I've reversed back from them. I mean, early motherhood for me was a time when I realized that I was just drinking far too much. And I, I really have come back from that. So I think I'd like to say that there is another way that, you know, it's not necessarily a one way street that if you drink too much, you'll never drink in moderation. Cause I think I do drink in moderation now. But yeah. yeah, what an interesting wintering moment that is because you then find yourself without the props that you'd usually use and also cut off from your normal social life, I think, to some extent, no matter what you want. I, I think that's one of the most brave ways to winter, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I think everything that you described prior to that as, you know, your kind of techniques or your go-to practices 
it's completely antithetical to what we were saying, you know, the effect of alcohol, which is to numb everything and to kind of just dull the edges. And you were talking about, you know, you sit for meditation, you sit in a bath, you get acupuncture. Like these are all very crystal clear examples of like, all you're doing is like sitting still acupuncture. You have no choice. You're covered in needles. You can't go anywhere. These are all (laughs) of these opportunities for you to literally just sit Mm. in your moment and have no place else to go. And then there are all these other, you know, tactics and tools and coping mechanisms that people use. And alcohol is obviously very high up there. And just you know, how to not deal basically. And yeah, many of us master that art. Do you know what? How I got on top of my drinking was that I've I've now got a rule that I won't drink when I'm feeling stressed or anxious or unhappy. And that is the moment when I'm obviously wanting a drink the most quite often. And it wow, it cuts down your drinking if you really commit to it. So now, what? like I've been nervous this week about the book coming out, for example. It just turns me upside down. I just, you know, you don't know what anyone's going to say about it, you know, how anyone's going to feel. And I didn't drink for the whole of last week because every night I checked in and thought, how am I feeling? If I pour a drink now, am I pouring a drink because I'm trying to combat nerves or because I'm feeling joyous and and kind of want to, want to relax. And every time I knew it wasn't for the right reasons. So I guess, I mean, I, you know, I'm talking about mindfulness. I'm talking about a mindful approach to a lot of things really. And I think for me, applying mindfulness to drinking has really, really helped. It means that I know when I'm celebrating, when I log off from you guys tonight, I am going to have a martini instantly. (laughs) (laughs) Just to be really clear on the matter. (laughs) No, I think it's so true. I mean, you, it just, it forces you obviously to sit with your own feelings and that is mm. like the, you know, to acknowledge and, and, uh, you know, it's for you and right now it's this big moment of change, right? Like there's, mm. I don't like it. <laughs> like change, change is stressful, right? Well, I'm, I'm just as unsettled by success as I am by failure. I mean, actually I'm kind of used to failure and I find, I don't know about you, but I find success really unsettling. Yeah. Well, it's terrifying because then it somehow, for some of us at least, it sets a precedent of, okay, well, if I've gotten here once, now I have to do better. Yeah. And that's even scarier than where your perceived, you know, bottom is because then it's just, you know, feels safer mm-hmm. to hang out there. Yeah. And what we do is so visible too. And so you have to, you know, you're going to have to go forward with grace. You know, you can't, you can't hide and you have to find a really positive public face when actually what you're feeling is like, oh, this isn't my life. This is so weird. Why is everyone paying me all this attention? I just want to burrow somewhere. Maybe that's, that might be my unique response, I think. <laughs> that's probably my response as well. Introvert <laughs> me. But um, mm. yeah, you have a queer, I mean, I don't know if it's yours or, or sort of aversion, but, uh, you know, change will not stop happening. The only mm. change is is our response, obviously. And your yeah. response to, like you just said, it was just like such a perfect example of just yeah. being a little bit more aware of like how we're responding to stress, how we're responding, responding to anxiety, whatever it is. Mm. Um, because it's always cyclical, right? I think like the, it, it's like change is oftentimes stressful and stress is just like going to happen over and over yeah. and over again. And I think there's... Um, I don't know. There's a lot of learning in that. Just like accepting that, like, like I feel like my 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 husband and I, for example, like we have very small children, and we're just like, uh, yeah. oh my god, like this is so stressful right now. And I'm like, 
okay, we have to like, how, but how are we going to deal with this? And Mm -hmm. oh, like, it's kind of like, well, we don't have to deal with it because it's just a tough time. We have to just get over the hump. Yeah. And I'm like, that is not true. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of have a feeling that like, this is just going to pop up again, like this stressful moment or this new sort of existence. It's like, it's never going to stop. It's just going to sort of, you know, mutate into something Mm -hmm. else. Stress will appear in a new way (laughs) next month or next year or whatever it is. But it's like in these moments of stress, you know, of frustration. Yeah. Whether it's coming from like, I mean, anything, children, grief, whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, it doesn't matter what it is. It's like, how are you going to cope with that? Like, do you have like tools in your kit? Are you going to like be able to identify it and move through it and like change how you react to it as a habit? And that just seems like something to really, you know, sink your teeth into when thinking about wintering and like during all these dark, stressful moments of like whatever the case may be. It's like just knowing that it's not going to not happen again. Yeah, well... And knowing that it is dark and stressful, I mean, that, that takes us back to what we were saying about having kids earlier. Like, they take you to so many dark and stressful places. And if we pretend to be Mary Poppins, then actually, I, I just think you're driving your own self further and further away. I, I just, I know for me that I am so much better when I'm facing what I'm feeling head on and I'm acknowledging it. And yeah, that does let you problem solve, doesn't it? That lets you think, okay. I can see there are some bits of this that I can't get round. You know, they are going to wake up at five o'clock in the morning. That's what toddlers do. They are going to keep changing their behavior in a way that I don't know how to deal with. And I'm going to constantly have to adapt to that. But it also lets you think, right, how do I maintain my relationship throughout this? You know, how do I find ways to carry on talking to my partner when all we seem to do is wash nappies and make baby food? Like, (laughs) acknowledging the problem lets you adapt to it and adaptation is natural that's a natural response but if we say oh no this is all perfect thanks very much and then suddenly you're divorced five years later right yeah yeah the track (laughs) (laughs) no but I you know like I know that I've watched so many I mean I had children later than those of my friends and it really helped because I could kind of see the bear traps that were coming I could see how stressful it was and I think that has given me permission to acknowledge the difficult parts. And I, I genuinely listened to their advice. You know, they told me all sorts of really good things about being pragmatic and flexible in the face of it and making time for yourself and knowing that you have to still carry on existing. And I've just seen how other people have really suffered from it. And like I know in my relationship, we have found it so tough. Our time together is very, very different to what it used to be. Wow. I mean, you know, 10 years ago, I wrote a memoir about my sex life. And I, let's just say I would not be writing that memoir again right now because there would not be much material. Um, <laughs> but I have faith in life cycles, you know. Exactly. It'll come around again. It'll be fine. Change is coming. Change well, is coming. I think it's, yeah, I, I think it's so interesting and timely again that you you know that this book was the genesis of it kind of was way before the world literally just like caught itself on fire in the last six to eight months and then the other thing I was thinking about this morning was I just read an article I guess over the weekend about how I mean we are literally sitting in the you know approaching winter time right and in this very unique moment 
we're trying to keep businesses alive by keeping everybody out of doors as best as possible. Yeah. And there was all this stuff in the in the New York Times this weekend because you know New Yorkers are probably among the softer set of uh, <laughs> of, of fortitude, uh, you know, of American fortitude. And uh, so it, I don't the think whole agree with you. <laughs> well, I'm I'm born and bred New Yorker, so I'm allowed to say it. We're kind of pansies in the face of you know a little bit of a cold snap or whatever. It's just interesting that like, again, the, the irony of this word and this concept and the, the one article I was reading about, you know, these restaurants try, trying to keep themselves alive and moving, you know, space heaters and investing in blankets and all of that. And there, there, it started with a quote that was attributed to somebody British saying like, there's no such thing as bad weather. There's only... Just improper- bad clothing. Just bad yeah. clothing. Exactly. I'm like... <laughs> This is the emblem of our time. It's, the, it's this conversation. It's everything. Like you just have to have the proper clothing and deal with it. And this is coming from a person who literally hates, cannot tolerate being cold. I'm like, we're going to have to figure this out. We're going to have to sit in it. We're going to have to get better clothing. I'm not afraid. I love the cold. Bring it. I love the cold. I love the cold. And I do live in New York and I still have the cold. Uh, but my, yeah, that's right. My Midwestern friend always says that. Like you just yeah. have, yeah. You got to toughen up. If you, if you want to learn how to deal with the rain, ask the British because it just never lets up here. Yeah. So, you know, right. you, either, you either don't go out or you get a really good raincoat. Right. And it's, I mean, it's interesting. There's so many parallels. Like this whole article was talking about like, or you could just think about it differently. Like, you yeah. know, um, maybe some of us would cancel, you know, plans for an outdoor dinner or a picnic or whatever because of the rain. And there are other people who say well, it's just water. So if your sandwich gets a little bit wet, like it's still okay. You can still have fun. You're still allowed to have fun. You can just prepare to have it feel a little bit uncomfortable. We would never have any fun in my country if we weren't willing for our sandwiches to get wet. Honestly, we just, we have to adapt all the time to it. And like the other phrase that we use a lot is you're not sugar, are you? You don't melt in the rain. (laughs) And that's, it's good to know. I mean, honestly, I walk in the rain all the time. I love it. And I do get wet, but I dry off. It's fine. I get home. I change my clothes. And that feels wonderful. I love that feeling of being cold and damp and kind of a bit uncomfortable and coming in and having a hot shower and drying off. There's nothing lovelier than that. It's worth it. <laughs> That's so nice. Yeah, I don't know. It's a, you know, it's, this is a weird moment, yes, where it's like literally nature, you know, Nature is forcing us to have a, a wintering, like mm. more ways than one, right? Like we are literally being forced back into our homes to look inward, um, mm. to pause and slow down, uh, you know, obviously from the pandemic, but then also just the season. Yeah. yeah. So great timing for this book. Seriously. Yeah. I, I, well, I, I hope it helps, honest, genuinely. Like I would love it if it could help just some people to cope their way through these next six months because there's still more to come. I hate to be pessimistic, but these are hard times. And even with your election, like all the people that are feeling relief now, I think there's a load of processing that's still going to happen for loads of people. And the crash can come at this point. We have to be ready for it. We're going to have PTSD for a long time. Stuff's going to carry on coming up and, you know, there's personal battles that are still being fought, right? You know, between families and all of that fragmentation that's happened that's been so painful. There's a lot of, you know, truth and reconciliation yet to come. There are such difficult times. Yeah. Well, I guess another benefit of winter is that it gives you more time to stay inside and read. (laughs) 
Yeah, there's that Manic Street Preacher song, is it? That we love the winter, it brings us close, closer together, like we're huddled in with our family. All the rousy yet to come. <laughs> oh. Well, you are setting things off in the right direction, hopefully for a lot of us and giving, again, sometimes it's really as simple as, you know, you're not saying anything that maybe a lot of us don't already know, but you're saying it in a different way and in a way that hopefully is impactful. Um, So we appreciate what you've done and what you've created and can't wait to share it with everybody and and get lots of copies as Christmas gifts for people. (laughs) Well, it's a very beautiful addition. So like, I, I think it's, you know, look with a ribbon around it, right? <laughs> it is very pretty. Uh, and I'm so excited to start listening to your podcast. <laughs> oh, enjoy it. I, I, I interview writers who, who write about their own life and I ask them to take me through a, a really dark period. And we walk through it really slowly and really think about how it felt to be in that moment and what they learned from it. And I like, it's really magical. It's, it's gone a lot better than I hoped. <laughs> Pessimism yeah. works. <laughs> well, it's a good move to, to just focus on writers who can actually articulate all those darkest <laughs> moments. So. Yeah, and people that are willing to go there. You know, not everyone wants to, to visit those places in their life, but I think there's loads of writers who just love to get right into there. You know, we, yeah. we love to wrestle. Love it. All right. Well, thank you so much. This is um, thank you. so lovely speaking with you, and we are excited to dig in and share. Thank you. It's just been lovely to chat as well. Great to meet you. I'm really, I was reading about both of you on your website. You've had such amazing lives. Really? <laughs> it's been an adventure. Yeah. yeah. Winter is coming. <laughs> no, I, I feel like you two could hold it off. I think it's fine. Uh, well, we'll probably be joining you in a virtual martini at some point soon. I'm there. Cheers. <laughs> Thank you so much, Catherine. Thanks for listening to HTW. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and make sure and rate us on iTunes. You can even give us five whole stars if you think we deserve it. If you have ideas for guests or topics, you can call our 1-800 number. Yes, we have a 1-800 number at 800-674-1839 or holler at us on social at HTW Podcast. You can also head to our website at htwpodcast.com for more episode info and check out our Daily Blend blog to see what we're drinking.